if, uh, if that's not convicting, we might need a checkup from the neck up and, uh, and possibly about 18 inches lower. It's a big difference in having head knowledge to the point of it becoming heart acceptance. And once the heart gets affected by truth and by that which matters not just in this life, but that which matters for eternity, when the heart gets affected, it'll change everything about me. Many folks, and this is not accusative, it's just fact. Many folks have a lot of head knowledge, but it hasn't been allowed to sink into the heart. And that's why we can go through the motions. That's why we can have all the right words, and we can have all the right phrases, and we can, we can do all the quote-unquote right things, and yet it's nothing but motion. We're just in motion. But when it finally takes root in the heart, when the truth takes root in the heart of an individual, it changes the way I think, it changes the way I act, it changes what I believe is important, it alters everything about what I held dear, and it gives me a different view of the reality of eternity. And uh, well, that, that is not necessarily the uh, focus for this mor- morning in the message, but it does go along with it. And, uh, and so if you would, take your Bibles and let's, um, let's jump over. If uh, you've got your Bible with you, go to Mark chapter 12. Uh, second book in the New Testament there, Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So Mark chapter 12. And um, we are going to pick up where we left off. We, last Sunday, we began to deal with um, verse number 30 of Mark 12 in, in the aspect that it gives you four areas in which we are commanded to love the Lord our God, which is, according, this is Christ himself speaking, and he speaks of the first and greatest commandment. How is it that I am going to have no other God placed in my life before the one who made me and who sent his son to die for me? That he might be able to redeem or buy me back from the curse of sin. That I could then live with him for all eternity instead of being separated from him because of the punishment of sin. God gave me the opportunity, he gave you the opportunity. Every single person has the chance to receive the gift of forgiveness from a God who never stopped loving us. May I say, he never stops loving mankind, no matter how wicked mankind can be. God never stops loving mankind, but that does not equate to God just whitewashing the problem And sweeping it under the rug. He gave a solution to deal with sin. But he requires that man follow his plan. Not our own. Man's way has led to the separation from a holy God. God's way is to reunite. 
his creation with him. So what brings us to following God's plan, but then also what, what drives us, if you know Christ as your personal Savior, what drives us to want to serve the one who has given us so much in the area of forgiveness especially, is this truth in Mark chapter 12, verse 29 and verse number 30, especially verse number 30, where Jesus himself taught about what is the most important aspect. And we're dealing with the groundwork for revival. And last week we dealt with the heart. And this week we're going to the second element that is mentioned, and that is the soul. But in Mark 12, verse 29 and 30, it says, And Jesus said unto him, The first of all the commandments is, is here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And verse number 30, the main focus, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And, uh, and so we dealt with all thy heart, that part of me that is emotional, that part of me that deals with my feelings. Well, I just don't feel. Well, here's the problem. If my feelings don't, don't, don't match up with God's words, my feelings are set aside, and the way I feel about it doesn't matter. And that sounds harsh, but in dealing with every single one of us, how I feel about something, especially when it comes to eternity, has to follow the truth, or my feelings are obsolete. My feelings must follow God's word. So how does my heart get in tune with the truth of God's word? How does my heart get in tune with what God has given? How do I follow him with the heart in a way that, that puts him first in everything? Well, it can't be with part of the heart. It can't be with certain areas set aside for me, and I'll give this part to God. It says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. When he has every bit of it, there's not much room for other things to tug away at it. And so all our hearts. So the heart is the way we feel. It is dealing with that aspect of understanding that what is so easily led astray, the heart of man, wicked above all things, is is, um, my brain just died. Heart of man is desperately wicked, yes, but uh, it, I can't remember. The, it, that's how it goes for me. I can quote it nine times out of ten. This morning is the tenth, all right? But the, the heart of man, is, there it is, is deceitful above all and desperately wicked. I knew it would come back, all right? So it's deceitful above all, desperately wicked. Our heart can be led in the wrong way so easily, but if tied to him, give him all then uh, that heart can also be the one that desires to praise him. So that's the heart side with all our heart. Then it says with all uh, your soul, with all thy soul. Uh, The soul of man, uh, it it deals with and it's speaking specifically of your very being. As a whole, it is who you are. Your soul. Matter of fact, the soul is dealing with that eternal part of you that will spend forever somewhere, either in God's presence or removed from his presence for all eternity. That decision, by the way, is made here on earth. That decision is made in this body, in this life, 
before I stand before him, before I enter into eternity after this mortal life, there's a choice that must be made here. That choice is, do I choose Christ and him crucified for my sins? Do I accept him as my savior and nothing else, him alone and the blood that he shed for me to be able to forgive me so that God himself would say, now forgiveness is possible. The only thing it hinges on, will man turn to God and say, I accept what Christ has done for me and I ask for that forgiveness to be given to me. You see, when man receives the free gift of salvation, when man realizes what Christ did because I am sinful, he was God in the flesh, perfect, because I could not die for myself and forgive myself, much less anybody else, but Christ, who is God in the flesh, who is eternal at all times, Christ himself in the flesh could die, but yet at the same time would not stay dead, would rise again to prove that he was God and that the offer of, of forgiveness could be an eternal offer because as long as Christ lives, salvation and forgiveness is alive. Christ died once for man on the cross, but he rose again the third day. He is alive and seated at the right hand of the Father. Why? So that what has been done and accomplished so man can receive forgiveness would be an eternal offer never to be lost. Because Christ was not lost. Christ did not die. He did not stay, he did not stay dead in the flesh. He rose again. So all of that, again, not trying to pull in so much information right there. I, I, I can't. If I pull in too much, we'll never get to the point tonight, uh, this morning. But because he lives, I can face tomorrow. But every man has to make the choice. We know that. If you've read your Bible, you've read what God said, every man has to make the choice. Just because Christ died doesn't mean that he forgave all men at that moment. He purchased the option. He purchased the right of God to forgive but man has to receive that forgiveness by choice. God never overrides the will of you and I. We have the will to choose Christ or myself. And so in this, as a child of God, I am to give my entire heart to him. As a child of God, I am to give my entire being, who I am, my soul to him. Now, I'm gonna, we're going to look a little bit at that this morning. I'm to love him with all my soul. Understanding what it is to be God's creation and what it is to live eternally one place or another. Who I am, all my being, is to love God with everything. So let, 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 let me pray real quick and then we're going to dig in to three simple facts concerning what does it mean the soul of you who are you who, who is this soul person the soul the being who you are uh, we're going to look at some interesting things from the bible concerning how you were created and why you matter to god so let's pray and we'll, we'll dig into this heavenly father we thank you for this morning i pray that you would give clarity to what we're going to look at to the truth that we're going to investigate here from your word. I pray that you would help us to understand 
who we are in the sense of the creation and who you are as the creator. Lord, would you help us to understand it's not just loving you with all our heart, but it is coupled with loving you with all our soul, who we are, everything sold out, whatever it takes, Lord, to be more like you. I pray that you would help us as we look at this to just or be open to the truth and realize what it is you've done for us. If there be one here this morning that doesn't know Christ as their personal Savior, maybe they're trusting in many other things, but they haven't trusted in Christ and Christ alone for the forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternity. I pray they would realize that this morning and be willing to get that settled. Would you do a work in our hearts as only you can? We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let me, let me get into what we'll look at. The Bible talks about when you're dealing with the soul, you are dealing with the eternal part of man. Yes. Matthew 16, 26 says, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Um, y'all, y'all, I'm sure y'all have whole, heard the statement, uh, they sold their soul to the devil. Okay? Um, and, and I imagine we could look around this world and we could probably see some people that we would almost say, that probably is a pretty decent description, at least based on the evidence and the fruit of their life. Probably somebody who has said, I want nothing to do with God. Let me follow something else. And by the way, uh, mm, I'm going to give you this. It's not my notes, but I'm going to give you this anyways because I think it's helpful. Satan does want you, our adversary, the devil. He wants every individual as a whole technically to follow him, to follow his way, to follow his plan Every plan that God puts in place, Satan does a counterfeit for. Every idea, everything that God designs, Satan tries to counterfeit and manipulate and, and make an alternate of it so as to have something to choose instead of God. As a whole, we know that he would rather us follow his way and his plan and, and his design for life than following God's. But may I say, how does he convince you of that? How does he do that? It's pretty simple. He just convinces us that you follow you. It's not, he doesn't, if Satan came and and he tried, if he tried to teach and he tried to really push, listen, follow the devil, follow. Now, some people actually do push that. and Some people do try that because they're they're so anti-God, they go as far the other direction as they possibly can. Well, there's only one thing the other direction. And that's Satan himself, the adversary, the alternate option of choosing a holy God. But Satan himself is more subtle, as the Bible said. When he went to Eve in the garden, he didn't say, God's just lying to you. You Don't listen to him. He just wants you to not be like him. He doesn't want you. He's trying to keep you from everything. That's not what he did. Uh, Satan, when he went to the Garden of Eden, his, his initial attack was more subtle. It was not a direct statement. It was a question. Yea, hath God said? In other words, 
Did he really say and mean what he said? I mean, do you really think that's what he was getting at? Or, here it comes, maybe he's just trying to keep you from something that's better than him. So, hey, Eve, why don't you just go ahead and do what seems good to you right now? And then she saw that the fruit, whatever it was, people say an apple, the Bible doesn't say it's an apple, it's just fruit. But she saw the fruit, and all of a sudden, it was a fruit to be desired. And it looked good. I can imagine, you know, you know how it is when you're hungry, and there's your favorite dish, your favorite thing in the world, and, and, and you see it, you can smell it, all of a sudden it's right there. You haven't tasted it yet, but you start salivating, you know, start drooling over it. Man, I can't wait. As a kid, did you ever get in trouble trying to get a hold of something before it was time? Because you just couldn't, oh, I'm going to have it all. That's my favorite. Here's the thing. Eve was deceived in that sense. Satan just made her question, made her think. And he didn't say, do it my way. He said, basically, how about you just do what really seems right right now? Do your way. Make your own choice. And then after he got her thinking and got her looking and got her really contemplating on what was right before her as an option, then he came out and said, by the way, God just doesn't want you to be like him. He knows the day that you eat of it, he knows that when you eat, you're going to be just like him you're going to be a God that knows good and evil. You're going to be a God that knows all things. He didn't fully lie, but he didn't tell the truth either. She didn't become no God, but she sure did get a knowledgeful. She all of a sudden realized good from evil. She all of a sudden realized that uh, there is wrong because she just brought it into life. It wasn't for her personally. The Bible says that the, that the fault fell on Adam. Whereas, for, whereas by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Uh, Adam was the one who got the blame. I could go into a whole bunch there. I'm not going to this morning. But I will just say he got the blame because he was the one given the instruction. And he's the one who chose willfully to rebel against God's command but man has all been we've all been guilty of sin since that day satan does not necessarily come after us and say follow me he just says follow yourself don't worry you follow yourself you reject god and follow yourself you'll eventually get to me he's subtle he's sneaky do it your way do it your plan but when it's all said and done, by the way, you say, well, I'm my own person. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. <clears throat> I hate to be a spoiler alert on this one. But in life, there's always someone telling you what to do. Why well, make my own decisions? Yes, but let's go, let's go back and let's examine who is encouraging 
your decisions. Because there's always somebody, as they say on, on social media today, the number one, I think I mentioned this before, the number one desired job, if you can call it that, number one desired job for kids growing up now is not firemen and police officer or soldier or anything, nothing like that. No, 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 no. No, number one desired job with kids today, social media influencer. That's what they want to do with their lives. Do you know social media influencers are doing exactly what their name is? They are influencing 24-7 the thoughts of people. And by the way, if you can get in people's heads, you can also get in people's hearts, and you can get into people's actions. You can encourage, and that's what Satan does. He gets in the head, he gets affecting the heart, and the next thing you know, people are sold out living for themselves, which as a whole is just following Satan's directions. Live for yourself and ignore God. Let your soul, your being, be about yourself. The Bible says that our soul is to be placed before him. We are to love him with all our soul, our entire being. So let me give you very, very quickly uh, these three thoughts, all right? So who are you in the sense of being God's creation, the soul, what God put together. Who, who are we? Well, we are God's, if you want to put it this way, we are his unique creation. We need to understand that God made, made each and every single one of us for his design, divine purpose. I know, it's like, wait a second, but I should have my own plan. God created every single individual for his divine purpose. Now, whether or not we follow that purpose is going to be up to the individual having our being, our soul, committed to him completely. Whatever it takes, Lord, do whatever it takes. I'm willing to take the, the, the I'll, I'll, as the song said, I'll, I'll trade sunshine for rain if that's what it takes. Lord, I'll, I'll, I'll take uh, um, um, the, the heartaches and the pains in the place of comfort and whatever, whatever it is. You say, well, that, that goes completely against the way we think. Nobody wants to say, Lord, give me pain. Lord, give me discomfort. Well, no, in this flesh, we don't want to ask for that. But here's the thing. Here, here's what the song we sang really comes down to. Lord, take my houses and lands. Change my will. And change my plans. No, I hate when that happens. I don't want my plans changed. I don't want my desires changed. I don't want my thing, everything I put together. Well, I got this whole week planned out. Every time something messes it up, I get upset. Sometimes I think we just need to say, Lord, I'm willing. If you, you want to just completely wipe the slate off this week and everything I had planned, just wipe it completely off the map and redo whatever you want so that I will put you first. Whatever it takes, Lord. For my will to break, that's what I'll be willing to do. Now, I know that goes completely against our, our mindset, but we are a unique creation. God designed us. And Jeremiah 1.5 uh, says this, and talking about Jeremiah himself laying this out and said, before I, uh, God himself speaking to Jeremiah, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. 
And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. God told Jeremiah, you, you didn't realize it, boy, but before you were even formed, I had a plan for you. Before you were born, I already had a design for you. Before any of this took place, I already had it laid out and I had a perfect plan for your life. Now, listen, I'm not speaking of us getting to a point where we have pride and, and self-exaltation. Oh, yeah, I'm important. <laughs> God is going to do great things with my life. Listen, that's not what it's about. Um, will you go with me to, to a passage of Scripture real quick? The book of Psalms. Book of Psalms, um, chapter 39. And this, this is actually, for most, you probably, if you don't know it, you probably heard at least portions of it. Uh, Psalm 39 uh, verse 14 through verse number 16. Psalm 39, verse 14 through verse 16. And the fact that we're not trying to lift ourselves up or make man more than man is supposed to be, but God created and God allowed every single human being. Yes. So, sorry, 139. Psalms, the big book, all right? Psalm 139. I knew there's a reason why y'all looking so puzzled. All right, Psalm 139, verse 14 through verse 16. Is that better? All right. So God, God designed each, he allows every individual to be born because he has a purpose. No one here and no one throughout the world is born purposeless, without meaning. People say, my life has no meaning. No, it actually does. The problem is you're looking in the wrong place to find it. Psalm 139, 139, verse 14 through 16 says, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well. My whole being, boy, everything about me knows that God created me very specifically and for purpose. Verse number 15 says, My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in uh, continuance were fashioned. It's talking about, this is talking about the, the growing process of a, of a baby growing in the womb. Before fingers and toes even showed up, God already had them laid out. And if one is going to be lacking a toe or a finger, God already had it laid out. Nothing happens. Well, what about those individuals who have babies that are born and then they got problems and they're in, in, our, in our world, in our realm of thinking there's something not right. And God didn't make a mistake. I can't fully explain it. I can't give you all the details, but God didn't make a mistake. Because according to the scripture, every part is written. God is recorded. He knows what he was doing. He knows why he's doing it. He knows what his purpose is. No one is born an accident. No one is created a mistake. God knows, and he always has a plan. The very being you are, the very soul of every individual, God allowed the birth of with purpose. 
uh, it goes on in, in, in verse number 16 there towards the end, which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. In other words, even before uh, I, I, I was complete in every way, uh, God knew exactly what I was going to be. And but may I say, God's fully aware of what all you're going to face. Even in this life, no matter how many years you have lived, there are, there are things, as long as you are breathing, there are things coming that you're not aware of. There are things to face that you don't know. There are some things that we can anticipate, and there are some things that we get broadsided on. But God was not surprised by any of it. He fully knows and he fully understands. And may I say, if we have a heart and a desire, if our heart is fixed on him and our soul loves him with everything, our being, everything about me, my whole being, Lord, loves you, then whatever he brings my way is to be understood he has a purpose and a plan. And it might be that he is breaking down this fleshly pride so that he can do in me what only he can do when I am removed out of the way. I am out of the equation. My way, my will, my wants, my desires removed out of the equation so God can fill within my life what he desires for me. But I have to know that I am a unique creation of God. He loves me and he never has gone without loving me. He loves you, and he's never gone without loving you. But here's the thing. If the thing created us does not like what was created, it will not like the one who created it either. Is that not where we are in society today? I hate God. Why? I hate my life. I can't... I, don't, I didn't want to be this way. I don't want to, I want to be this. I want to be that. I want to be, I want to be a cat. Meow. <laughs> Can I just say, if you want to be a cat, then don't pick and choose what areas of living like a cat you're going to do. We can feed you cat food. Yes, I'm hitting it. Y'all just hold on. You're going to put litter boxes in our schools. If you're going to do it, then don't do it part way. Don't eat the school's lunch. We'll have cat food for you. Or mice. Yeah, There shouldn't be a single mouse in that school at all. But here's the thing. I'm not trying to make poke fun of it. But what I am saying is when the creature doesn't like what's been created... It will hate the creator. It will turn from the creator and it will turn against the creator all because I don't like what he did to me. Maybe it's not what he made us. Maybe it's the family he gave us. Why would God put me here? Why would God give me that? Uh, why would God put me in a situation where... But, Think about it. Why would God allow uh, uh, hundreds of thousands to be born in, in, in third world countries, millions to be born in third world countries where there's great poverty and many of them starve on a daily basis trying to just scrimp 
and find any piece of food they can. Why would God do that? Does he not care? Does he not love them? Of course he cares. Of course he loves them. I don't have all the answers, but I do know this. The, the, the issues in the world are not because God created the issues. Can anybody recall what God created? Garden of Eden, perfection. Anybody want to recall what ruined it all? Sin. And the, the issues we see throughout the world and the suffering we see throughout the world and children born to suffering and, and people going through anguish and pain, all of it, it has nothing to do with, look what God did to us. No, it has everything to do with, look what sin has caused. Because man keeps rejecting him and making it about me. I don't want you. I want my way. But we are a very precious creation to God. I will give you this. I got I to wrap this up. But Romans 9.20 says, Nay, but, O man, how art thou that re- who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Well, that's what they're trying. If you can't learn to accept who you are as far as what God made you, your you're, you're being, you'll have a hard time accepting who God is and the fact that we are made in his image. We are precious to him. God does love, matter of fact, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever, there's no stipulations, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We are not only a unique creation very quickly, but we are a God's valued possession. We are valuable. You are valuable to God because he sent, as we said, John 3, 16, just just now, he sent his most valuable, he sent his most valuable possession to redeem us. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says this, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? This, this is dealing with those who've received Christ as their Savior, those that, that, that are a child of God through accepting the forgiveness offered through Jesus Christ. So you receive that forgiveness. You ask Christ to be your Savior, forgive you of your sins. He's saying here, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Why? Because for ye are bought with a price. What is that price? The price of the only begotten Son of God having to die for our sins. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. If God could love me enough to die for me, should I not love him enough to live my life for him? We are his valued possession. I've said many times, and I'll say it over and over again, there is not anything created. God created the universe. He created the plants. He created the cats and dogs and everything else. But there's nothing more precious to him than his creation of man. I will say this, and we'll get to the last point. We'll be done. Do you know that man is the only thing created by God that has a soul? 
What makes man different than a dog? Now, y'all, many of y'all, the church members, y'all know, uh, I, I, have, I have my other part of the family um, at home. Uh, her name is Darcy. And, and, and uh, honestly, she, as a whole, she's, she's my dog. She's my lap puppy. Um, when I come home, she goes nuts. Um, if I sit in my chair, there's not a second before she's up in my lap. Turn, she does her little circle and plops herself down because that's her place. Nothing belongs there but her. Uh, okay, so it's hard to, in some aspects, it is kind of hard in this fleshly aspect to think that, you know, Darcy doesn't have a soul and I ain't taking her with me. But as a whole, what, what separates me from, from just being like a dog? What separates me from being like a cat? Or what separates me from, you know, oh, God forbid, being like a snake? Not much. <laughs> you bum. All right, but here's the thing. What separates us from being just like everything else that God, God created? What makes man special? Two simple things. Number one, we were created in his image. And number two, he placed within man a living soul, eternal soul. Though we live in mortal bodies that will die, do, how many of y'all can attest to the fact that it decays? <laughs> Just, uh, everything tends toward decay. It gets worse. Why do doctors make so much money? Because we decay, all right? All these things, all these health issues we have is because this mortal body decays. But there is a part of you and I that lives on for all eternity. There is a part of us that is immortal. It is your soul. And God placed a soul within every single man, woman, boy, and girl. And when they were born, they were born a living soul. They will spend, you and I will spend eternity somewhere. Because though this mortal flesh will die, and this mortal flesh must die, it cannot live forever as it stands today. There is a part of me that will enter into eternity and will always be facing eternity. Try to wrap your, your mind around it. We talked about that in Sunday school. Map, try to wrap your mind around eternity. You want to talk about going insane? Try to understand eternity. We can't grasp it. But there's a part of me and there's a part of you that lives on forever. The Bible says that we are to love God with that eternal part of us. That in this mortal body, I love him with that eternal soul that he gave me, all my being, all that I am. Because one day I'm going to stand before him and one day you're going to stand before him and we will have to answer. It will be proof of whether or not we have chosen him and not us. His way and not my own. We are a valued possession. Last thing, I'm done. Here it is, wrapped up. But we, if you are a child of God, if you've received Christ as your personal Savior, 
You've settled eternity because not because you're good enough to face God and say, look what I did, but you have received Christ as your Savior, knowing that you were a sinner, you were lost, you were on your way to a Christless, a godless eternity, and yet you saw what Christ did on the cross. You accepted the blood that was shed for you. You received and said, Lord, forgive me of this sin I'm guilty of and be my Savior. And when you receive Christ as your personal Savior, you then, as the Bible describes it, were birthed into the family of God, the spiritual family of God. You are now what is called a child of God. How? Well, because He is my Heavenly Father. He's not just my creator, but when I receive Christ as my Savior, He now goes beyond just my creator. He is now my Father. And I'm to love my Father with all my heart. And I'm to love my Father with all my soul, my entire being. And I'm to understand that as a child of God, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 declares us a peculiar people. Not just strange to be strange, not just weird to be weird, but peculiar. In other words, it draws people to say, huh, that's different. Huh, that's not how I would have acted. Huh, that's not what I would have said. Well, that's not where I would go. That's not the things I would do. Peculiar just means, and we'll put it this way, a peculiar generation, we are different for a purpose. What is my purpose? To make sure that he shines. Ye are the light of the world, Christ said. Ye are the light of the world. If we're the light of the world, how do we get that light? We don't have any light of ourselves. So where does the light come from? When you receive Christ as your personal Savior. By the way, he declared himself to be the light of the world. But then later he said, ye are. How does that happen? Well, when I receive Christ as my Savior, and he now indwells my life as my Savior, forgiving me of my sins, and I'm a child of God, he now that dwells within me must shine forth from me. And the more peculiar I am, not just to be weird, but to be different enough that it catches the attention of society around me. If I look like, act like, walk like, talk like, and can blend in like a chameleon with everything around me that's not godly, how is anybody going to see the light of Christ? We are a peculiar people. How do I be peculiar and not just weird? How do I be peculiar and not draw attention to myself, but as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. It's about him. It's about him. I am nothing. He is everything. I, John said, I must decrease. He must increase. How do I be that peculiar person that God desired for me to be? I have to realize a couple of things. Simply this, is it not peculiar that God would show his mercy to us? 
Is it not peculiar, odd, different, strange that God would want to use us? Look at how useless we are sometimes, and yet he still wants to use us. If I could find no other reason to love God as a peculiar people with all that I am, my entire being, if I could find no other reason, it would be just because he loves me. It is so strange that a holy God could love an an unholy, sinful person. Enough to send his son to die and enough to forgive us, but enough to want to work with us and use us for his glory. Wow, why would he even want to use us? It is so strange enough to consider that God loves us that if I realize and I recognize and I will accept to know that God loves me, how could I not then love him? I'm the unworthy one. I'm the pathetic one. I'm the one in need. I'm the one lacking. If he can love me, how could I not love him with everything I am and everything I have? 1 John 4.19 says, We love him because he first loved us. My encourage you this morning, if we're going to see God be able to do revival, we're, 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 we're prepping for, we're praying for, we're looking for that revival that we have coming. If we're wanting God to do a revival in us individually, we have to follow God's plan. I have to love him with all my heart. And I have to love him with all my soul. How I feel is all about him. <laughs> Who I am is all about him. And if I'll make it all about him and less about me, he can do wondrous things in my life. And then whatever he does from my life, he'll get the glory for and I won't try to steal it. Let him do a work in us. Love the Lord with all thy heart and with all thy soul. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the truth of your word.